Good morning. So good to see you here on this uh, resurrection morning. Today we are going to, uh, we're going to conclude our series called Life After Life, Questions About the Hereafter. But uh, next week we're going to start a new series called Homesick, Living and Longing, and it's a sermon series from First Peter, and we think that you will find this uh, very interesting and helpful as well. But today, we want to ask the question, how can I be raised from the dead? How can I be raised from the dead? Now, you, if you wanted to ask that question from a physical perspective, you could ask a young woman by the name of Cecilia Sheehan. In 1987, Northwest Airlines Flight 255 had just taken off from uh, Detroit Metro Airport when suddenly the plane fell from the sky and crashed into a highway below, killing 154 people on board and two more on the ground. And incredibly, one person survived that tragedy a four-year-old girl named Cecilia Sheehan. And when rescuers found Cecilia, they thought that she had not been on the flight. Uh, she, was, she was injured. She had uh, burns over about a third of her body. But they thought there was no way that this young girl could have survived this, this crash. They thought she may have been in one of the vehicles on the highway where it had crashed. But they, when they checked the passenger list, they found Cecilia's name. And when everyone else had died, Cecilia had lived. So what happened? How did she survive? Well, when the plane began to fall, Cecilia's mother, Paula, got up out of her seat, got down on her knees between the seats, wrapped her arms around her daughter, and covered her with her body. And through all that happened in that crash, she refused to let go. And because of that mother's sacrificial love, Cecilia survived that crash and walked away alive. That is a picture of the love that love this world and me. God so love this world that is in a that is in a nosedive to destruction that he sent his only son to stretch out his arms to cover us with his body and absorb the the impact the lethal impact of sin in our lives he died so that we can live but then he rose again so that we can be raised from the dead. And so we say today, He is risen. He is risen from the dead indeed. And we rejoice in the fact that through His death and resurrection, we can be raised 
from the dead. And that is the truth that the passage that we are going to read today declares to us. And so I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 and verse 5. You'll also find in your bulletin a handout that will help you in following along today. The apostle Paul uh, writes these great words to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with him, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you today with thankful hearts for what you have done for us through your Son, for the incredible demonstration of your love and of your grace and of your mercy. And we truly rejoice that we have salvation through you. And Father, we we also, we, we confess to you how easy it is for us to forget the wonder of what you have done for us. And we pray that as we look at your word today, that you, your spirit will renew our minds and help us to have a, a new, a fresh appreciation for your love and for your grace. And Lord, that you would work in the hearts of those who have never trusted you to compel them to come to you in faith, and and to be raised from the dead. And so we ask this now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, one of the things I like about Easter is that you can participate in Easter. You you, you can't participate really in Christmas uh, the same way you can participate in in Easter, because you can't do what Jesus did. You can't, you can't be born of a virgin and come into this world. But at Easter, you can have new life. You can be born again. You can enter into the, to the life of Jesus Christ and, and experience the new life that he gives. And, and I want to, uh, and I want to, you to consider three simple life-changing truths from this passage that show us how we can be raised from the dead. Number one, trust Jesus' death to free you from sin. 
Trust Jesus' death to free you from sin. If you look at verse 5, you'll see that the apostle Paul there says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. See the the little word if there? That tells us that this is a a first-class conditional sentence. And, And we could really, we could translate it since. Since we have become united with him. And when he uses the word we there, he's talking about believers. So get this, believers. We have become united with Christ in the likeness of his death. You see, trusting Jesus means joining him in his death. You say, how? How do you do that? Well, he continues in verse 6. He says, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, if you have been saved, your old self has been crucified with Christ. You say, what is your old self? Well, everybody here has an old self. Even young people have an old self. Your old self is what you were like before you trusted Jesus Christ. Your old self is the sinful you. Your old self is trying to live life on your own apart from God. It's the old self. It's, the, it's that sinful nature that you, no matter what you do, you cannot get rid of. Now, you may try. You may say, well, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, really make an effort. But no matter what you do, you really never can get rid of your old self because, you see, it's a part of you. As long as you live, your old self is going to live. So, and, and when he uses the word old there, he's not about old in terms of time or terms of age. It's a word that actually means useless. In other words, Your old self, spiritually, is useless. It's ready for the junk pile. The only thing that can be done with it is to be done away with. It's the only thing you can do with the old self. The old self has to come to Christ and be crucified. Now, your old self, whether you realize it or not, has a destiny. That old self is headed for hell. And as long as you hold on to that old self, that's where you are headed. You see, that's why Jesus died on the cross. If there weren't a hell, then Jesus wouldn't have suffered all that he suffered on the cross. He suffered all of that because there is a a tragedy waiting all of us. We're all in a nosedive. We just all haven't hit the ground yet. We're headed for certain destruction. And to be saved means that your old self has been crucified with Christ. Your old self must be put to death. And as he says, it must be done away. See again, look in verse 6. He says, our old self was crucified with him in order that our old body of sin, that old self, might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. If you want to be set free from the power of sin in your life, you have to be crucified 
with Christ. You say, what, what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? We use that word so lightly, don't we? Crucified. It's easy just to kind of skim over it. What does it mean that Jesus was, was crucified? Well, one medical doctor who has done careful historical and medical research on the crucifixion t- gives us a, 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 a detailed description of how Christ died on the cross. And he says that the cross was first, it was laid on the ground, flat on the ground, and then Jesus was thrown back with his shoulders onto the cross. And then a legionnaire would drive long, heavy, wrought iron nails through the wrists, through that, those two bones there that can support the weight of a body. In deep into the wood. But, but be careful not to stretch too much to be able to give some room for, for flex and movement. And then his knees were bent and his feet were overlapped. And then a single wrought iron nail was driven through the arch of his, of his feet into the cross. And then once nailed there, the cross was lifted into the place, into the hole in the ground that was prepared for it. And for six hours, Jesus hung there on the cross and was crucified. And for those six hours, the process that I'm about to describe to you occurred over and over and over again. And Jesus would slowly sag down under the weight of his body, bringing to bear the entire weight of his body on those nails in his wrists and the the it was a a horrible thing that happened when he would feel that full weight uh the doctor describes it as fiery pangs that would shoot through the fingers and up the arms and explode into his brain and to ease the pain then on his wrists he would push the weight of his body up on that single nail in his feet, tearing the nerves between the bones and pushing himself up to relieve that pressure in the chest and in the wrists so that he could take a breath. And soon, after this process continues on, he's barely able to push himself up. And the the, the, uh, the, the, the... pain that he feels in his chest begins to be a crushing blow as the the fluids begin to build up in the membranes around the heart, causing it to be difficult for him to breathe. And he struggles there. And for six hours, he endured limitless pain, cycles of twisting, intense cramping, partial asphyxiation, searing pain in his back as he would rub up and down that that uh, back that had been shredded by a whip, up and down, over and over and over for six hours. Now, men who endured that kind of pain did it unwillingly. And sometimes they would hang on the cross for days before they died because crucifixion was intended to be a slow 
torturous death. That was his very purpose. But Jesus hung on the cross for six hours, a relatively short time for someone being crucified. Why was he on the cross for such a short time? Well, there there are several reasons. Uh, One, Jesus had already been beaten by soldiers in the praetorium. And then he was scourged by order of Pontius Pilate. Now, to, to be scourged at the hands of a Roman executioner was often just that, an execution, because many men did not survive a scourging, which was a, a whipping with a, a, a whip of, with, with uh, nine or seven tails. It had bone or rock embedded into it, metal sometimes, and it was designed to wrap around the person, and literally they, would, they had learned how to just to, to take all the skin off the back, and sometimes they would even disembowel someone who was being being whipped. It was an incredible thing that happened. And many people, if they lived through the whipping itself, would die later from tetanus or other some other kinds of complications. Some people who live would be crippled for life. This was an incredible thing that Jesus endured. And and but this we, what we've described so far is just the physical suffering. Because you understand that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was not merely enduring torture from at the hands of men. He was enduring the very wrath of God himself upon all of our sin in him. He took all of my sin. He took all my lies, all my deception. All my impurity, all my coveting, all my idolatry. He took all my selfishness. He took all my sin upon him. And then he took all of your sin. He took the sin of the entire world upon him. He was bearing much more than the weight of his own body. He was bearing the wrath of God there in that place. Something that we can't even see. And there's one other reason. See, Jesus willingly gave up his life. He yielded his life. When that sin was paid for, our sin was paid for, then he willingly gave up his life. He willingly went to the cross. He walked every step of the way. He carried that cross. He willingly allowed those people to drive those nails through his hands. He allowed it all to happen. Because why? Because he loves you and me. It was love that held him on that cross until all that punishment was complete. And then he said, it is finished. His great love for you. So what does it mean then to be united with him in his death? A death like his. I mean, what does it mean to have your old self crucified with him? Simply this. We come, we bring our hearts to the foot of the cross. And we look anew at what Jesus did for us. We look again and we see those nails in his wrist. We see those nails in his feet. We see the the flayed skin hanging from his back. We see the crown on his head. 
we see the torture that he endured. And we remember the sin, our sin, that he paid for. We see the blood running down in streaks on his body and remember that he did that in love for us. He demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we stand at the foot and we, of the cross and we say, I'm done with this old life. I'm turning away from this life that I have been living, this sinful life. I am turning to Christ and I am trusting that Jesus' death will set me free from sin. By faith, I'm believing what he said. I'm not going back to that old lifestyle. I'm not going back to the slavery of sin. You see, that's what it means to be crucified with Christ. You know, from the time I was about uh, 15 years old till I was 18, I attended uh, John I. Burton High School in Norton, Virginia. And I had to be there. I, school was compulsory. And, I, and they, they told me what time I had to be there in the morning. And when I arrived, they told me that my hair could not be over my collar and that my shirt tail had to be tucked in. Now, that was how bad it was in school when I went to school. And they told me what my classes were. They told me uh, when they would be and what my assignments were. They told me when I could go to lunch. They told me what I was having for lunch. And then if I misbehaved, the principal had this long fiberglass paddle with holes drilled in it. And he would let you hold your ankles while he would make colorful designs in your backside. And then they would tell me when I could go home. I mean, that school controlled my life five days a week. Whatever they said to do, that's what I did. I lived under the domination of that school. But then at the end of my senior year, I walked across the stage and they handed me a piece of paper. And that piece of paper said that I was free from Norton City Schools. Praise the Lord. It was no longer compulsory to be there. And, you know, and, and when, I, when I don't show up for class at school at John I. Burton, nobody calls my mom and dad and asks where I am. They don't even care. In fact, as best I can tell, ever since I graduated, nobody has called to check on and see where I am. I'm no longer under the control of that school. I'm not, they're not responsible for me and I'm not responsible for them. Do you know that in the same way before you came to Christ... Sin was for you just like that school was for me. Sin was compulsory for you. Before you were born again through faith in Christ, sin controlled your life. You did whatever it said. In fact, you were like, like I was with all the students around me. You know what? We thought that was normal. We thought it was normal to go through a day, everybody telling us what to do. We just did it because that's the way it was. And you know what? We live in a world full of people that are living controlled by sin, and everybody thinks it's normal. But being raised to life through Jesus Christ means that you've graduated. See, you've graduated from sinfulness to righteousness. You've graduated from death to life. 
And now you have a new life to live. You go out and you've got a whole new life now ahead of you after high school. And you've got a whole new life ahead of you when you come to the cross and have the old man crucified. Then you get his life, a new life to live. Sin used to be compulsory. Friend, you, you, you were powerless to it. And you are now. It, it controls your life. And the only way to avoid that is for you to bring it to the cross and for you to die there. That's when everything changes. You see, God has something better for you. If you've, if you've truly been saved, then you don't want to go back and live in high school. You don't want to go back and live in a life of sin. There are some of you, you're here today, you prayed a prayer. You may have walked an aisle. You may have been baptized. But if the truth were known, you still live that old life. Nothing's really changed other than you prayed that prayer or you did that thing because you've not really been, you've never really been crucified. It didn't really die. You haven't been transformed. There's no change. And somehow you thought that if I prayed that prayer, if I walked that aisle, if I went swimming with my clothes on, that somehow everything would be right between me and God, but it's not. Because the reality is you're still living the same old life. And the only thing, you see, you you can do all kinds of things, but there's nothing short of coming all the way to the cross to die. Salvation is simple, but it costs you everything. Everything. It costs you your life. But praise God, you get a new life, a better life, an eternal life. That's the wonder of it. And so trust Jesus' death to free you from sin. And then trust Jesus' resurrection to give you new life. Again, in verse 5, the apostle says, For if we have been, we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And he's, that's very simple. If you have been united with him in death, then obviously you are going to be united with him in his life or his resurrection. And Paul says, this is not just a possibility. This is not even a probability. He says, certainly we shall have this resurrection life. It's a certain, it's a promise, it's a guarantee from God. You And you know what, by the way, resurrection life doesn't start once you die. It starts right now once you believe. You can have resurrection life right now. And, and Paul goes on in verse 8, he says, for, for if we have died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Now, notice that important word there at the end of verse 9, knowing. This is a word that means knowing something with, with factually, knowing something with certainty. And you see, we know for a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. 
We know for a fact that Jesus is no longer subject to sin. And we know that death is no longer master over Jesus. And so knowing all of those things, he says, we believe. Our believing is based on our knowing. What do we is that we know? We know that Jesus died for us and that he rose again and that we can have new life through him. We can be raised from the dead. That's an incredible thing. You know, in science, there are, uh, one of the things that you can do to prove that something is true is to repeat experiments over and over. And if you get the same results from those experiments, then it proves that what you are doing is, is true. And the Bible says that Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible offers at least five proofs that Jesus is alive. Uh, think with me about those experiments. First, there was Mary Magdalene. And the Bible tells us that she went to Jesus' tomb early in the morning, not knowing what to expect. And she saw a man there that she thought was the gardener. She just assumed that he was the gardener. But then when he spoke to her, she realized that it was her Lord. And she begins to to worship him. She falls down. She clings to his feet. And he says, get up, Mary. And she goes back and she tells the disciples, she says, I saw the Lord and he is alive. Experiment number one. Then comes experiment number two. Just a little later, a group of ladies that Pastor Travis talked about this morning, they came to the the tomb and there was an angelic messenger there and they went to the tomb and they saw those empty clothes there and and the, the messenger says to them, he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Experiment number two. And then there were some men, a couple of men that were walking on the road to Emmaus. And suddenly someone joined them. And they were talking about all the incredible things that had happened in Jerusalem during this time. And this man that is with them begins to talk to them about the Messiah. And he says that from, from, that from Moses all the way to the prophets, that it was foretold that the Messiah would come and that he would suffer and that he would be raised again. And suddenly their eyes are open and they realize that the one who is walking with them is the Lord Jesus himself. He's alive. And then there was Peter and all the other apostles. And Peter says that we ate with him and we drank with him and we put our fingers in his scars and his hands and in his side and his feet. We saw, and, and for 40 days, he showed himself to us and, and we interacted with him and we know that he is alive. Experiment number four. And then 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about experiment number five. He tells us there, Over 500 people saw Christ alive after the resurrection. That is an incredible thing. Every one of these is a repetition of the same experiment, and every experiment gives the same result. Jesus is alive. That's the reality that turned the world upside down. That's the reality that changed my life. That's the reality, that's the reason I'm standing here today doing this. And that's the reality that changed your life if you have believed in Jesus Christ. 
Do you realize that there is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever even lived? Far more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than Julius Caesar ever lived because we only have a few fragments of documentation that he existed. But there is overwhelming evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Did you know that we don't even know for sure if uh, Alexander the Great died at age 33? We only have small fragments of documentation. But we have overwhelming evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's amazing what people will expect, well, what people will receive, facts that they will receive from the media, and from all these places with, with really no documentation. And yet when it comes to the overwhelming evidence of Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead, people still doubt. People are here today and doubting. Can I tell you the, the, the heart of doubt, the root of doubt? The root of doubt is not here in your head. The root of doubt is here in your heart. So it's not a mental matter. It's a heart matter. Someone has said uh, the, 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 the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And, and if you're rejecting Jesus, it's, it's not because there's not enough evidence. It's because your heart is resisting him. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Now that's an interesting passage because literally in the Hebrew it says, The fool has said in his heart, no God. Not just there is no God, but no God. See, some of you are resisting God. You're saying, no God, in light of all the evidence, because you want to hang on to that old life. You don't want to come to the cross and be crucified. And so we... we justify, we rationalize, and we hang on to what we want in our lives. You see, it's not a matter of evidence. It's a matter of the heart. And the distance between heaven and hell, someone has said, is the distance between your head and your heart. The Word of God is so clear. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he accomplished so many things. Think about this with me, about the resurrection. The resurrection means that Jesus is undeniably God. He proved that he is who he claimed to be when he rose from the dead. He claimed to be God, and he proved that when he rose from the dead. The resurrection means that God accepted his sacrificial work on the cross and that the penalty for our sin has been paid in full. When God raised him from the dead, he said, That's, it's adequate. It's enough. And then the resurrection also guarantees that believers' bodies are going to be raised just like Jesus' body. Because God has already proven that he can do it and that he is willing to do it in the resurrection of his own son. And finally, the resurrection gives us supernatural power to be able to live for Jesus in this life. So I ask you this question, and I'm not asking you, are you convinced intellectually? Because that's not the point. I'm asking you, have you really given your heart to Christ? To be saved means to be united with him 
in his death. And it means to be united with him in his resurrection. And every believer, every person who's a believer has been united with Christ in his resurrection. And that means that you can, believe, that you can live for Jesus right now in this life and that you can live with Jesus forever in heaven. It's an incredible promise that he makes. So if you want to be raised from the dead, you have to trust Jesus' death to give you freedom from sin, and you have to trust resurrection of Jesus to give you new life. And if you have done all that, then you need to show Jesus new life in or through baptism. Now, now what's the big deal about getting baptized? Well, here's the big deal. It reveals the new life that Jesus has given you. Look what he says in verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. That's believers. We have been baptized or buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You see, Jesus commanded his disciples to be baptized because it is a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why we baptize by immersion here at Good Shepherd. If you've seen a baptism here, we take that person and we put them under the water. And for a moment, the whole person is buried in the water. It's a picture of the fact that this person has been crucified with Christ and the old life is gone and buried. We don't leave them there for long, though we're sometimes tempted for some people. (laughs) But we bring them right up because that shows not only that if they died, the old person has died, but now they got a new life in Jesus Christ, this new life to live, eternal life. It's an incredible thing. See, baptism shows that we have been buried. We have been identified with Christ in every way possible. Baptism is a symbol. It's just a symbol. It doesn't save you. But it is a powerful symbol of a spiritual reality of what has happened in a person's life. We have died. We have been buried And we have been raised again to newness of life. And so Paul says in verse 11, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, that has to do with your day-to-day life as a believer. The word consider means to mark something down. Mark it down in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own life, of the reality of what has happened in your life. What has happened and what is going to come in the future. Do you remember the four-year-old girl that I told you about at the beginning? Cecilia Sheehan, the lone survivor of Flight 255 in 1987. Well, today, she's in her 30s. And when she survived that crash, she lost her mom, her dad, and her brother all in that crash. 
And so she had no one to live with, and, and she went to live with her aunt and uncle. And at that time, there was an incredible amount of media attention. Uh, Cecilia was known as the orphan of America. Uh, it was a big deal in the, in the news. And those that aunt and uncle took Cecilia away from all of that, and they raised her very privately, very quietly. And so she was in her, she's in her 30s, and just a couple of years ago, she was interviewed as a part of a television show called uh, uh, Lone Survivor or uh, soul survivor, excuse me. And in that interview, she said that she thinks about that crash every single day. And sometimes she, she struggles with survivor's guilt, thinking about, you know, her mom and dad and brother dying and, and her living. But she said, overall, she said, I'm, I'm as happy as I've ever been. She said, I married my childhood sweetheart, and life is good. And then she showed something on her arm. Her arm was scarred with, with burns from that crash. But below at the wrist where there were no scars, she had a tattoo. It was a small silhouette of a jet airplane. And she said, I have all these scars on my body that were there, put there against my will. But I put this here as a reminder of where I've come from and of where I'm going. Why did she do that? Because she marked it down where she has been. And Cecilia is a believer, and she knows where she is going. She's got a past, but she's got a future. And you see, she made that. That was a human choice that she made to mark it down there. But what I'm talking to you about is a divine command. God commands us to mark down our identification with Christ in his death and his resurrection through baptism. Because it's the perfect picture of what Christ did for us. When we talk about baptism we're not only talking about what jesus has done for us and where we have come from but friends we're talking about what we have in the future we have life and we have to look forward eternal life with jesus so if you've never been saved you need to today you need to be saved today There are some of you that just need, you've got to decide to take the step of obedience. And I'll just be honest with you. Coming to the cross is incredibly difficult. In fact, it's impossible on your own. But God has spoken his word to you. He's shown you his love And he has given his spirit today to cause you to understand the reality of this, the truthfulness of it, and the power of it. And he says, you need to believe. This is the word of God. You need to believe. You need to be saved. This is God speaking to you. You need to be saved. You need 
to be crucified and you need to be raised from the dead. How can you be raised from the dead? Well, you trust Jesus, death, that he will free you from sin. You trust Jesus' resurrection that he will give you a new life. It's faith. The only way you get the new life is to die. And then if you've really done this, if you've really believed, then you need to take action, outwardly demonstrate this new life that Jesus has given you. So you need to believe. And let me tell you, there's some other people here today that you need to think for the, about this for a moment because some of us, we've actually believed, but somewhere along the way, we've kind of sagged back into an old way of living. And some of us, the problem comes sometimes, we sag so far back that we have to, we have to kind of sometimes determine, is this because I never really was crucified? Or is it just something that's happened that I really need to just repent and go back to the new life God has given me? You have to make that decision. Now, some of you, you're just rejoicing today. Just rejoicing in the wonder of what Jesus has done for you and you just, it's, it's glorious and you can just honor him and praise him and rejoice. That's wonderful. But if you've got business with God, you need to take care of that. Some of you need to be saved. Some of you need to be baptized. Some of you need to be, to repent. And turn back to him and some of you just need to keep on rejoicing. So whatever it is that God's got for you, you need to do it today. And I want to ask you, if you would, just to bow your heads, close your eyes. No one leaving. Everybody just quiet. This is a very important moment in the hearts and minds of people today. And here's what I ask you. Have you given your heart to Jesus? Are you ready to give your heart to Jesus? If you are, if you are, just call upon him and say, Jesus, I know. I know that old self has been controlling my life. And I, as best as I know how I come today, I bring it to the cross to die. And I want to turn away from that old life. And I want to live. Forgive me of my sin and give me your new life. That's, it's that simple. Tremendously difficult, but very simple thing to understand. That's your heart. Some of you need to say, you know, I, 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 I say I'm a believer, but I've never marked it down in my own life, in my heart. I've never done it public. I've never been baptized today. I, I want to be baptized Some of you are saying, you know, Lord, I just want to come back to that new life. I want, to, I want to walk closer with you. I want to love you and obey you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Now, everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed. I'm not going to ask you to do anything in this service other than this one thing. 
You say, if you, got, if you had a decision today, you said, you know, I, I, I pray with you. I, I trusted Christ. Just raise your hand. Put it back down. You just raise your hand. That's you. That was your decision today. I trusted you. You just put it up and you can put it down. Nobody's looking around. I'm the only one looking. That's you. Anyone say, I, you know, today I, I know I need to be baptized. I need to be obedient to the Lord and be baptized. You just put your hand up. Put it back down. That's you. Lord, I want to just want, I want to I want to walk in that new life. I want to be draw closer to you. That your decision today. Just put your hand up. Put it back down. Lord, I love you, and I praise you with all my heart for the, for the, your death and resurrection of your son. You put up your hand. Put it back down. Father, only you know our hearts, and I pray, God, that you would continue to work throughout this day in our hearts and minds and reminding us of the wonder of your love and grace to Christ. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to follow up on the decisions that we've made today and that you might be glorified in it. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I tell